November 22nd, 2019 episode of Weekly Signals Meltdown. Broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always, the driving force behind South Dakota's meth, I'm on it campaign, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. Today, we'll be talking about stuff. Yes, we will. Yeah. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Literally interesting stuff this week. But, uh, As opposed spoiler to... <laughs> alert, we're going to not talk about... Oh, I want to talk a little bit. No, you're not allowed to talk God, about what everybody else is talking about. Just a little about. tiny sliver. Because people are tired of that. Maybe just a little. All right. But first, what makes you laugh, Mike? I like dark humor. I like things that are not obviously funny. Okay. So, like, if I drop dead right now, but I fell on my ass, <laughs> yeah, well, that would be funny. If you slipped on a banana peel and hit your head and died, yes. I might laugh. <laughs> Good to know. From Science X, researchers took measurements in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Japan. Mm -hmm. The next story, from the global... Nah, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. They discovered that in the subarctic region of the Pacific, the water's acidification, the lower pH there, is causing a significant increase in nitrous oxide, or laughing gas. Yeah, Mahler. <laughs> yes, Mahler. I've seen him out there with that can. That a little whip can, it? That little canister of fun stuff. It's not stuff. good for you, Mahler. The greenhouse gas effect of laughing gas is 298 times greater than carbon dioxide. Yeah, my Answering the age-old question, what's a trip to the dentist have in common with the climate crisis? <laughs> Uh, if pH levels keep falling at the current rate, assuming there's no decrease in CO2 emissions, the laughing gas production rate in that part of the Pacific could rise by 185% to 500%. Oh, that range. They don't know how much. That's a big range, guys. Yeah, well, it is a big range, but it's but not that's a good by, range. By yeah. 2100, it's yeah, going to rise up yeah. there. The study shows that under the right conditions, one greenhouse gas can increase the production of another, more damaging one. We're in a loop. A we are in a loop. very bad biofeedback loop with the environment. A good friend of mine passed away from an overdose of laughing gas. When was this? Probably about 30 years ago. He was an yeah. uh, EMT guy, emergency response guy, right? He drove an ambulance. Okay. And his girlfriend got in the back of his van with a canister of laughing gas and strapped on some mask, like the dentist does, right? Yeah. And he and his girlfriend fell asleep. She woke up in time. He didn't, and he passed away from inhaling nitrous oxide. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm too depressed to do anything. Yeah, more. let's, well, just trust me. You'll be more depressed by the time we get through uh, the day, Stu Show. <laughs> okay, Mama. From Global Citizen, according to a new report, the Arctic is now releasing more carbon dioxide in the winter than it can absorb in the summer. Now that heat waves are occurring in the winter and the Arctic is warming three times faster than the global average, greenhouse gases that would have normally remained frozen in the ground are being released into the atmosphere. 
The study shows that more than 1.7 billion tons of carbon dioxide are being released from Arctic soil annually because of warming temperatures. But plant growth in the region can only draw about 1.1 billion tons of carbon dioxide into the soil during warmer months. That means that an additional 600 million tons of CO2 are being released annually. Now, this isn't a lot right now. Globally, countries release about 42 billion tons of carbon dioxide annually, with China, the U.S., India, Russia, Japan, and Germany accounting for nearly half of that. The Arctic permafrost, though, is part of a feedback loop. Yep, and that's again. the problem. Yeah. It can right. increase exponentially as the planet warms, forests, permafrost layers, glaciers, and more are releasing more emissions and absorbing more heat, raising global temperatures in the process, and causing more environmental changes to occur, setting in motion a cycle that could soon reach a dangerous runaway point. This is something that has been predicted for a long time, several decades. They've been talking about the loss of permafrost and all of the carbon that would be released as a result of that. Way back when Al Gore was almost president, yeah, even we, before then. We mean when Al Gore was elected president but didn't become president. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that during that period of yeah. time. We've lost 30 to 40 years yeah. when we could have been addressing these issues. Uh -huh. And now we're dealing with the consequences. Think about your personal issues, though. And you addressing them, Mike. I have. It's probably been 20 or 30 years. Yeah, well, it's with been some a, of them. It's some of them yeah. have been lifelong, yeah. actually. So yeah. the world is neurotic as either of us <laughs> is pretty much it, except they don't yeah, know yeah. when something's life-threatening. Yeah. Well, my neuroses and the lack of yeah. taking care of those neuroses is not going to be the end of yeah, human exactly. life as we know and it. And you so. haven't been elected to lead either. And I not, yeah. as far as, <laughs> no, it never uh, will happen. Okay. From Fast Company. Did you ever have a fish wrap, Mike? Yeah, I've had a fish wrap. Yeah, did yeah. you like it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, this is a new kind of fish I understand. Wrap. Uh, a new kind of plastic-like packaging under development is made from fish skin and algae. Almost like a saran wrap type of thing. Yeah, this is potentially a good thing. Unlike some compostable plastics, which need to be processed in an industrial composting facility to break down, the new material can break down in a backyard compost bin. Yeah. yeah the packaging prototype looks like conventional plastic, but it's made from fish waste and algae instead of oil. And unlike plastic, if it gets into the ocean, there you go. a fish could eat it safely. Unlike oil. Yeah. So it's a good thing. Yes. In fact, you could just sit by the ocean's edge and feed fish with this uh, fish wrap. Yeah. The material called Marina Tex can be used to replace oil-based plastic in packaging like bags or translucent windows used to show products in boxes. Any of those things you tear off of boxes? Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're that tough. You ever get one of those plastic oh, boxes? Oh, absolutely. That, and you, you know, think you, you can pull it apart with your yeah. own barrier? You think you're strong enough to, like, oh, I can rip this thing by yeah. myself? Yeah, I don't need a pair of scissors. No. I can do this. And then you realize after you've strained your upper biceps that uh, you but can't. you do that? You go that far? Oh, I do. I'm, I get really, like, I, I wrap it around. Have you ever had one explode on you? You know, you just tear it apart. Oh. And <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. I've gotten so into it that I wrap the wrap around my fist yeah. and just with both fists, try to pull it apart until I'm just red in the face and screaming. You obscenities. know, they've invented this new thing now. You've heard of the iPhone? Yeah. These are called scissors. I know. Yeah. 
But once you can actually once I start through. down this road, Nathan, you were talking about my yeah. neuroses earlier, yeah. so let's let's explore them all. <laughs> we right don't now. want to hear any more oh, okay. about your uh, compulsive yeah. behavior. Yes. <sighs> the material can be processed at low temperatures too. They can make this at low temperatures, saving energy compared to plastic production, and because it starts with waste products rather than oil, the waste from a single Atlantic cod can produce. 1,400 bags. <laughs> I'm all in. Where do I invest in this? You know what's going to happen is the plastic industry will lobby Congress to ban this from ever becoming a reality, right? It's, it's the problem with capitalism. There's a lot of money invested in... They can't change when they need to change. When they, yes. I mean, that's why we need an authoritarian communist in charge. Well, we have one. <laughs> We but do. he's going the wrong direction. He, yeah, he's, Just yeah. turn him around <laughs> and point him in the right direction. <laughs> if this news intrigues you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Because you're listening? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. From the New York Times. Did you ever try to fix something, but it has a lock seal on it? So that it says if you uh, if you break the seal, the warranty's no good anymore? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Did you break the seal? No. You know You're me. I'm afraid a, of it. I'm, so. f- <laughs> I'm not afraid of it. You know, I'm such a rule follower. You know me. Huh. How about yourself? Have you ever... Do you ever... No, but I had a, a horrible experience with an iPhone once uh-huh. where... All I wanted to do was replace the battery. Yeah. And they make you think that you can replace the battery. But somebody had actually glued the battery in place. And I ended up prying the battery out of it and ruining it. Mm. Yeah, I had to buy a new phone. I've heard, though, that Apple does that with hard drives inside. Yes. So maybe there was a new guy on the assembly line that put the glue in the wrong place. I don't know. Yeah. Or somebody with a sick sense of humor, like you. You slipping on a banana peel. Yeah. Hitting your head. That's right. What if your Jeep breaks down in the middle of the desert? Then what do you do? You're serving your country in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And the Jeep breaks down, and you try to fix it, but it says (laughs) if you you fix this, the warranty's no good anymore. (laughs) You get in trouble with your sergeant for for cracking open the, the Jeep. Manufacturers can prevent the Department of Defense from repairing certain equipment, and this no right to repair BS puts members of the military at risk. If you're a right to repairist, like we are, because yes. we want we yeah. want the ability to at least try to repair something, you believe that you or a third party you choose, that's usually my case, yeah. I won't necessarily take it back to the manufacturer. I'll go to some guy that's on his own that knows this stuff. They should be able to repair something you own instead of being forced to rely on the company that originally sold the product to you, like Honda or iPhone. Trying to fix it yourself would void a warranty in that case, in many cases. Some products are deliberately designed to prevent a user from fixing them. Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have backed the right to repair during presidential campaigns. Good for them. Uh, They sided with farmers who want to repair their own equipment. Yes. John Deere prevented them from repairing their stuff. At least 20 states have considered their own right to repair legislation this year, including California. From the 1940s 
to the 1970s, the Department of Defense significantly invested in research and development and owned the right to repair the equipment it developed. That's the way things started off. But since then, much of the research and development has shifted to the commercial sector. That's right. We have farmed it out. We call that the military-industrial complex. That's what it is. Yep. Increasingly, the commercial sector developed cutting-edge technology that also had military uses, like software and drones. But the power dynamic wasn't in favor of patriotism, in favor of doing something good for your country. It was with intellectual property rights. Right. That's where the, the power dynamic went, and it forced the department to accept warranties, contracts, or prices that it could previously avoid. All the thanks to changes in research and development funding and a lack of competition brought on by mergers, especially during the Reagan administration. It always goes back to yeah. the Reagan administration. How many times do we talk about something that is anti-consumer, anti-environment, anti-banking regulations, and it all goes back yeah. to Reagan? That's when the prion disease started with the Republican Party. Exactly right. <laughs> The effects of the no right to repair BS will become more significant and restrictive as older military vehicles and systems are replaced with equipment under restrictive no right to repair warranties. Yeah. While a broken generator or a tactical vehicle may seem like small issues, it's not when someone's life is at stake. Yeah. It really is part of a greater trend of this sort of avarice among major corporations now that you can't tamper in any way with their product after you put your money down well, I, and I, bought it? It used to be that you own the product. Yes. Essentially what you're doing in that case is you're kind of leasing it. Exactly right. From the New Republic, why the hell did Democrats extend the Patriot Act? Yeah. That's crazy. I did not know this. Thank yeah. you, Nathan, for pointing this out. It may seem that Washington, D.C. was entirely consumed by the YAM impeachment inquiry and that no other important business was getting done. You know, Mike, I'm so confused about this impeachment. Who do I believe? <laughs> Every witness that testified backed up a story of a quid pro quo that sounds like political bribery. And extortion. Yeah. And yet everyone closely involved in that bribery has refused to testify. <laughs> Who should I believe? It's so confusing. I know. Well, after the show, we'll we'll go on over all hand, of the. On one hand, you have these experts on Russia and yeah. Ukraine. They've been focusing their life on, on career diplomats. Yeah, on the politics of those countries. Nonpartisan. Yeah, and then you have what some. Well, you some have guy that's suing a cow, <laughs> arguing with them about it, about whether it's Russia or Ukraine yeah. that's involved in this. I don't understand. Who should I believe, I, Nathan? The guy that's suing the cow, or the career <laughs> diplomat? I don't know. It's very, very it confusing. Is a t it's so tough. It's so hard to figure out who's Last telling the Last Tuesday, in yes. a break from televised impeachment hearings, the House of Representatives voted to fund the government through December 20th. If passed by the Senate, the continuing resolution would prevent a government shutdown and forestall debate about border wall funding, which is all well and good, except the Democratic leaders slipped in a three-month extension of the Patriot Act the post-9-11 law that gave the federal government sweeping surveillance and search powers and circumvented traditional law enforcement rules. And in the process created this gigantic bureaucracy that is sucking up incredible amounts of resources, time, money, intruding into the lives of everyday Americans who have done nothing wrong. 
Key provisions of the Patriot Act were set to expire on December 15th. By tucking the measure into the must-pass bill, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi forced many members who opposed the Patriot Act to vote in favor of the extension. Pelosi's logic was that if the House had not passed the extension, the GOP-led Senate would have sent the bill back, reworked, and a lot of the reforms would have been taken out. And moderate Democrats might have voted for that one. No, I'm sure they Just 10 Democrats defied the leadership okay. to vote against the resolution, including the squad. Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and Ilan Omar. I cannot in good conscience vote in favor of a resolution that reauthorizes unconstitutional mass surveillance authorities, Tlaib said, especially under a president who has retweeted images of his opponents jailed and suggests anyone who disagrees with him is a criminal. So you have uh, the Patriot Act authority put that in the hands of the president. It's exactly what Sandy Fulton of Free Press said. She said, Democrats are actively arguing that Donald Trump is unfit for office. They repeatedly acknowledge that he's a threat to our most common vulnerable communities, and yet they're going to give Trump the Patriot Act? (laughs) So you're giving a mob boss surveillance powers is what you're doing. Well, reauthorizing surveillance powers at a time when, if anything, we need to be reconsidering the scope and the depth of, by which we are now under surveillance because of this law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the intercept, from the rubble of the war, <laughs> of the U.S. war in Iraq, Iran built a new order. They sure did. Yes. This is all George W. Bush and his, his Dick little Dick Cheney, war. George W. Bush, John Bolton, Condoleezza Rice. There are a whole bunch of people who are on the hook for this. The 2003 invasion and occupation of Iraq marked the moment when the U.S. lost control of its own bloody chess game. The chaos unleashed by the U.S. invasion allowed Iran to gain a level of influence over Iraq that was unfathomable during the reign of Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein. Secret documents from the Iranian Ministry of Intelligence and Security obtained by The Intercept gave an unprecedented picture of how present-day Iraq is under Iranian influence. So how do we get here? Within weeks of the 2003 invasion, Saddam was out of power and on the run. A right-wing ideologue who had cut his teeth working under Henry War Crimes Kissinger was placed in charge of Iraq after the invasion. The country's new viceroy, that was L. Paul Bremer, had never served in the Middle East and had no expertise in Iraqi politics. Bremer became obsessed with the idea that the Ba'ath Party was analogous to the German Nazi Party and needed to be eliminated entirely. Under Bremer's leadership, the U.S. implemented one of the most disastrous policies in the modern history of post-war decision-making— liquidating the Iraqi army as part of a policy known as debathification. The net effect of Bremer's decision was to send more than 350,000 officers and conscripts, angry young men with some military training, into the streets. And their weapons. Yeah. It instantly created potential recruits for a guerrilla war, and they had at their disposal about a million tons of weapons and munitions of all sorts that had been left in unguarded depots around the country by us. Yeah. This is El Paul Bremer. Many of the Sunni insurgents who went to war against the Iraqi government of Nouri al-Maliki in 2013 
are now described in the documents that were given to the Intercept as Baathists. Yeah. So this is what happened. Yes. These groups have nostalgically identified themselves with the pre-U.S. invasion political order. The documents show that the Iranians have worked to either destroy them or co-opt them into the fight against the Islamic State. Many former Baathists also found themselves fighting in the ranks of ISIS. And we all know about them. It's an organization whose military leadership has included senior officials from Saddam's disbanded military. It began arming, training, and funding Shia death squads that terrorized Sunni communities. As the position of the Sunnis became increasingly dire, groups began to emerge that grew more and more extreme, including al-Qaeda in Iraq and its successor, the Islamic State. Right. Those are Sunni groups. Yeah. The Iranians are Shiites, and they have this sort of death feud in their religion over who's purer. One of the lasting images that I have of this time is that when the rioting started to occur in Baghdad, the U.S. military protected the Ministry of Oil while the National Museum was being sacked. And I think that that says everything that you need to know about how much we really cared about the people of Iraq. For better or worse, Iran has sought to fill the gaping void in Iraq that George W. Bush's policies created and create a new order, which any country would have done that. This is an order that would never again threaten them the way Saddam Hussein's regime had. Protests now paralyzing Iraq cities are a vivid demonstration of how unpopular Iranian policies have been in Iraq. Several hundred demonstrators have been killed by security forces firing live ammunition into crowds. What the Iraqis want is their independence. Exactly right. And let's go just a quick trip down memory lane. Let's not forget the invasion in, in 1991 by George Sr., George the the yeah. first, and the devastation that caused in the country, the use of depleted uranium munitions, the increase in cancer rates, the essentially the devastation of their society in 91, 92, 93, how that played out. Bill Clinton's no-fly zone, bombing, constant bombing. Well, and at then, least the uh, first Bush had the sense to leave Saddam Hussein alone right. because he understood the balance of that region. Right. But he did, in fact, devastate the country and its Absolutely. ability to yeah. maintain some sort of civil order. And then in the invasion in 2003 of a country that had nothing to do with 9-11 under the pretext that they had something to do with the attack of 9-11. Yeah. Let's not forget that. <laughs> You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to (laughs) KUCI.org. From Forbes magazine. Mm -hmm. With escalating public protests over steep fuel prices, Iran shut down its internet on November 15th to prevent images and videos leaking to the outside world and to frustrate attempts by protesters to organize themselves. The shutdown was only intended to last a day. As localized as the situation in Iraq might seem, it is part of an increasing trend by authoritarian regimes to control public access to information and the outside world. Automated monitoring of citizens, access to information, and use of social media has now become endemic, impacting a full 90% of Internet users around the world. 
but the situation in Iran should serve as a particularly acute cue to Russia. At the beginning of this month, President Vladimir Putin secured his own internet shutdown capability. We talked about that. Yes, we have. He can now disconnect the country from the rest of the world, transferring to a domestic-only network. As of now, the country's connectivity authorities are testing the effectiveness of this kill switch. Yeah. The public justification is to defend Russia against a cyber attack, but it's also a regressive step toward isolationism and censorship. In August, the Russian authorities used a targeted internet shutdown to hamper its own protesters who were protesting Putin. That's this is happened. part of it. This yeah. is a big part of it. The lesson from Iran plays into Russia's hands. The complexity of an actual shutdown is lessened when a switch is built into the system. Now, any software that's being sold within Russia now has to come with this Russian kill switch. It's mandated now. Huh. And let's not forget, the Iranians learned a whole lot about cyber attack, cyber warfare, because of the Stutznik virus that was released as a result of our attack on their centrifuges in our effort to not allow them to be able to refine uranium. The Iranians learned a lot from our cyber attack on Iran, and they have become much more sophisticated about their ability to do what we're describing here because of that. From Bloomberg, peak oil once signified the concern that supplies would someday run dry, but now that we can destroy the planet with fracking and Arctic drilling, it means when oil loses its popularity, its peak demand. Mm. Technological advances in renewable energy and electric cars accelerated by the threat of climate change could mean the world's thirst for petroleum tops out sooner than companies like ExxonMobil or Saudi Arabia's Aramco are expecting. To these companies, oil's future is in doubt because about 60% of oil is used in transportation, which is also where the biggest technological developments are occurring. Even Saudi Arabia's Aramco, which used to downplay the prospect of peak oil demand, cited it as a risk factor in the prospectus for its 2019 initial public offering. You going to buy some of that, Mike? Where's my checkbook? Where Where do I sign up for that? Yeah. Uh, if somebody's buying into that, yeah, I want their name and phone number. Me too. I yeah. want. I've got a bridge. I want to try and sell them. Yeah, it's. I thought a bridge. I want to try and sell. I have a good talk to them about investing at all. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> Forecasts for long-term oil demand have been coming down. The International Energy Agency, which advises country on policies, now expects that consumption will hit a plateau around 2030 amid the use of more efficient car engines and electric vehicles. Still too late. God, I hope that's not true. Yeah, I that's hope too to. late God, right there. Yeah, that's way too late. To limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit, the target set by the United Nations Paris Climate Change Treaty, the IEA predicts that demand for oil would need to peak in the next few years and then decline sharply. Yeah, it should stop right now. It should stop yesterday. Yeah. There's a range of about 20 years between the earliest and latest predictions for peak oil. Many companies see a peak around 2040. Oh, that's, that's just way, just way too late. Others, including ExxonMobil and Aramco, say the industry will enjoy decades of growth as it feeds the energy's need of expanding the middle class as they suffer through the climate crisis. That's just corporate BS. They have already invested hundreds of billions of dollars in the development of oil. They want to make sure that they don't get caught holding the bag. 
state-owned Saudi Aramco, that oil company, also acknowledged the possibility of a peak within the next two decades in its prospectus for its IPO. Again, which they're trying effective. to sucker some more money into their investment yeah. portfolio. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing, Nathan, I'll say it one more time. And I know that, I know, Mahler, you agree with me, nationalize the oil companies. Uh-huh. From the Atlantic, the battle for the Constitution, the Electoral College's racist origins. More than two centuries after it was designed to empower Southern white voters, the Electoral College continues to do just that. Black people in America today are not experiencing 1950s levels of voter suppression. Efforts to keep them and other citizens from participating in elections began within 24 hours of the Supreme Court's evisceration of the Voting Rights Act in 2013. That would be Shelby County versus Holder. And the voter suppression has only increased since then. But America's institutions boosted white political power in less obvious ways, too, and the Electoral College, the nation's oldest structural racial entitlement program, is one of the most consequential. Of course, the framers had a number of other reasons to engineer the Electoral College, like the person wasn't qualified. Yeah. Yeah. How did that work out in 2016? Yeah. It was a direct result of the Electoral College. There's no... If Sands yeah, or Right there, right there. Yeah. At that point in time, I realized Electoral College is worthless. Yeah. The person who actually lost votes for the Electoral College was Hillary Clinton. Right. And the fact that it was in the framers' mind that we cannot elect someone who is manifestly unfit to be president yeah. is, is elected by virtue of the Electoral College. Yeah. Back in 1787, the Southern delegates to the Philadelphia Convention had another rationale for direct election or democracy. The populations of the North and South were approximately equal, but because of its considerable non-voting slave population, the South would have less clout under a popular vote system. The ultimate solution was one that could leverage the three-fifths compromise, the Faustian bargain they'd already made to determine how congressional seats would be apportioned. With about 93% of the country's slaves in just five southern states, that region was the undoubted beneficiary of the compromise, the South, increasing the size of the South congressional delegation by 42%. When the time came to agree on a system for choosing the president, it was easy for the delegates to resort to the three-fifths compromise as the foundation. Under the Electoral College, black votes have been submerged. Critics of the Electoral College are right to denounce it for handing victory to the loser of the popular vote twice in the past two decades. They're also correct in pointing out that it distorts our politics, including encouraging presidential campaigns to concentrate their efforts in a few states that are not representative of the country at large. But the disempowerment of black voters needs to be added to the list of concerns because it is the core of what the Electoral College is and what is has always been. From the new scientist, doctors have placed humans in suspended animation for the first time. Wow. The technique, officially called emergency preservation and resuscitation, is being carried out on people who arrive at the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore with an acute trauma, 
like a gunshot wound or a stab wound and have had a cardiac arrest on account of that. Mm-hmm. You, you got to have an operation. It's just not a, yeah. a heart attack where they can... But you're bleeding out from, yeah, a, bleeding uh, out. from, from a exactly. wound. Yeah. Our heart will have stopped beating and they will have lost more than half their blood in yeah. that case. Yeah. They're only minutes to operate with a less than 5% chance that they would normally survive. Yeah. Suspended animation involves rapidly cooling a person to around 10 to 15 degrees centigrade by replacing all of their blood with ice-cold saline. All of their blood. All of their blood. Wow. The patient's brain activity almost completely stops. (laughs) They are then disconnected from the cooling system, and their body, which would otherwise be classified as dead, is moved on to the operating theater. So they're actually operating on a body that would normally be considered dead. Yeah. A surgical team then has two hours to fix the person's injuries before they are warmed up <laughs> and their heart restarted. <laughs> and finally, a stash of cocaine worth $22,000. What? Where? What? Hidden in an Italian forest by a gang of drug dealers. Huh? Was destroyed by feral hogs. <laughs> You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.